Well, good morning. Welcome back. So good to have you. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you do, you know. And, and uh, one of my friends came up to me uh, this morning and said, hey, you know, you haven't been here for a few weeks preaching, three, four weeks or whatever preaching. They said, I'm assuming this will be your best message ever, and I just let them know, just to, to lower expectations, it'll be the worst, not the best. So let's just kind of start off there, and that didn't get a laugh like I thought it would. So, um, so they really are expecting the best ever. I am in trouble. Jesus, please speak. Um, hey, uh, we're, we really are glad you're here, and uh, we want to make sure you can track along with us. We're going to look at this incredible story today, so uh, slip up your hands. We'll put a Bible in your hand if you don't have one. You need a bulletin also. We're diving back into school season and fall, and we have a lot coming up, and you want to know about those. You can also turn in, in your bio, in, on your phones to the Version Bible app. Uh, you can go there as well and track along with us under events, go to live, and there will be, all the notes are there, you can take notes along with that. Well, to kick off this series, or to kick off the message today, I want to do a little word association. I'm going to put some pictures on the screen, and I want you to tell me uh, what this is. Not necessarily who it is, but what it is, okay? So let's see if we can track along together. A lot of participation this morning, so let's, uh, let's put up the first one. What is this? Okay, a football, a football player. Some of you might think traitor, but let's just stick with football player, right? All right, football. Okay, what is this? Basketball player, right? This is a basketball player. Okay, what is this one? Soccer or football. By the way, anybody here, are you an actual soccer fan? Raise your hand and be proud of it. Okay, so there's a handful of you. Okay, good, good, good. I was, just, I was curious. I didn't know if we had any. Okay, what is this? What are these? There we go, fans, right? Isn't this a bunch of fans, right? So we have a bunch of fans here, right? Good, good job, Cam. All right, what about this? What is this? It's putty, right? I just had to throw that one in there because it's the greatest fan of all time, right? So there's another Devils fan. What is this? What are these? Muslims, right? Muslims, okay. Then what is this one? These are Jews, right? So, so we understand. You look and you say, okay, that, you know, that's a basketball player. That's a football player. That's a fan. That's a Muslim. That's a Jew. Here's a question. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? If I were to take you right now and say, okay, I want you to get into groups of 10, circle up, because circles are better than rows, right? And we're getting ready to dive into life groups. Circle up, and I want you all to discuss what is a Christian. Here's what I can almost guarantee In fact, I'm willing to guarantee it. You will get 10 different answers. Isn't that right? You will get 10 different answers on what is a Christian. What does that look like? And and depending on how you grew up, if you grew up in Christianity or faith or any of that, you might have grown up thinking your brand, so to speak, of Christianity was the true brand, right? Everybody else, you know, those those, those Protestants or, or those Catholics or those you know, liberal Episcopalians or, or, or those narrow-minded Baptists or those money-hungry, ego-driven megachurches, you know, they aren't real Christians, right? Some of you might even say, well, you know, I was a Christian at one point, but not anymore. But then somebody else in the group will say, no, no, that's not possible. Once you're in, you're always in. Some of you grew up believing you are in unless you do 
depending on where you grew up, fill in that blank, right? And so maybe you were driving home from that not-so-Christian date as a teenager, knowing that if you died that night, hell's fire would consume your flesh. (laughs) For some of you, it's all about what you believe that makes you a Christian. For some of you, no, no, it's all about how you behave that makes you a Christian. What is a Christian? If I were to ask you how many times does the word a Christian appear in the Bible, just by the nature of the fact that I'm asking you the question, you're probably already leaning one way or the other, but take a guess how many times the word appears. Some people might say a lot. Anybody say a little? Just a few times? In the Bible, the word Christian appears three times. And those three times, we never get a description of what it is. It's never defined. And the reality is, if we kind of dove deeper into that and looked at those three times, you would discover that the term Christian was actually a derogatory term that people used who were outside the Jesus community to describe those who were inside the Jesus community. Those who were inside and a part of the Jesus community never described themselves as Christians. That's interesting. The primary word that they would use to describe themselves was the word disciple. Now, a disciple uh, in the Greek, and the Greek was how the New Testament was written, that was the language, the word disciple means a learner or a pupil or an apprentice or the word that you might be most familiar with, a disciple is a follower, a follower. The real question is not, are you a Christian? Because you can define a Christian any way you want. Just get into your group of 10 and listen to the different descriptions. You can define a Christian any way you want. I mean, it means so many different things to so many different people. The real question is, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? And if you are a disciple of Jesus, Jesus has made it crystal clear as to what those who followed him, what they look like. In fact, one time Jesus said to his followers, to his disciples, he said that the thing that should characterize you more than anything else, John chapter 13, verse 35, you don't have to turn there. In fact, what you can do is turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1. But John 13, verse 35, Jesus said this, by this... Everyone will know that you are my what? My my disciples, and there's that term. And notice he says, my disciples. You'll know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, it's not the gold cross around your neck that defines you. It's not what you do on a Sunday morning. It's not the bumper sticker. It's not the Jesus fish that you have. It's not what family you were born into or what denomination that you're a part of. It's not even the fact that you've been baptized. Jesus said the first distinguishing characteristic of being his his disciple is how we value and how we cherish and how we love and treat those who are other disciples by how we love one another. And by how we do that, that's then how the world knows that we're his disciples. That's the best example we could give to the world of what love really looks like, by how we love one another. And then in the same conversation, Jesus tells you and I how to do that. 
In John chapter 13, verse 34, he said this, I want you to love one another, and here's how you do it. I want you to love the way that I have loved you. I want you to love the way that I have loved you. Don't miss it. Jesus is telling you and I this morning the most distinguishing characteristics of his followers, of being a disciple, is this profound love for one another in which we love one another in a way that's modeled for us by how Jesus loved us. And so that's going to be the basis for this series, being a disciple of Jesus. Not just as a Christian, you can define that any way you want. Being a disciple of Jesus by loving like he loved. Today what I want to do is I want to talk about the dynamic that Jesus brought to this love equation that makes it messy to love like Jesus loved. It's the dynamic that when you look into the Gospels and you see how Jesus loved, you'll be tempted and you probably will draw some different conclusions. One of the conclusions you're going to draw is you're going to say, man, it seems inconsistent. I don't get that. Other times you're going to look and you're going to say, man, I'm actually confused by Jesus' way of loving. There'll be other times when you read through the Gospels and if you're going to love the way Jesus loved and you read a story or read a passage and you think to yourself, man, that's just flat out unfair. That's not right. And it's our lack of comfort with this topic that we're going to be diving into and looking at today that causes Christians or believers or followers and causes churches to lean one way or the other because of our lack of comfort with this. And if I'm not really mindful of living out the Jesus way that we're going to be diving into and talking about, it's what can drive myself and other conservatives among us towards being too judgmental. If we're not careful, it's what can drive the non-conservatives towards being too mushy with seemingly no absolutes other than don't be a conservative. This dynamic we're talking about today is what makes conservatives afraid that people are going to get away with things. It's what makes non-conservatives fearful or afraid that people might end up feeling bad about themselves. You see, today we're talking about attention. We're talking about attention, and it's attention that every single one of us, because this tension exists, it's something that we are tempted to solve and to resolve. Pick a side. That's easier. If I can pick a side, then I know where I stand. But if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, I hope you hear this. If you try to resolve the tension that's created around Jesus' way of loving that we're going to talk about today, if you try to solve this or resolve it, you will lose. You will lose something very, very, and very important. You will lose the ability to love the way Jesus loved if we attempt to solve it or resolve this tension. By the way, we as a church for the last 15 years and as a staff and as a leadership and me specifically, we've tried to hang on to this tension. We really have. And the reality is over the life of our church, 15 years old now, it's probably been at times for some of us where we've said, man, it's inconsistent here. 
At times, it's been for some who've said, man, it's a little messy here. At times, people have drawn the conclusion, perhaps, and said, well, this is unfair. Some have drawn the, confu- the, the conclusion, man, it seems confusing. At times, it has probably left some people wondering, I wonder what they really are about. I wonder what they really believe, but it's what Jesus has called us to in order to love the way Jesus loves. So with that in mind, I'd like you to turn, if you haven't already, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Let me set the context here as we get ready to dive in. So in John chapter 1, before we dive into it, John is the author of this, the apostle John, the disciple John. And John is the only one left of the apostles. He's now an old man. This is about 50 years or so after Jesus has been crucified. The various Roman emperors, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, they've all come and gone. John has has survived the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple that happened in 70 AD. The Jews were banned from Jerusalem, and that had happened. All the other disciples, apostles, are gone. Matthew, we think, was burned at the stake pretty early on. The apostle Paul was most likely beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. The remainder of the apostles were, became martyrs as best as we can tell. John's the lone survivor. He's an old man. And, in late, and it's late in life now. And after John has had decades to reflect on Jesus and who he was and what he saw, he decides, I'm going to write this down. And I'm going to share my account of this. The other three Gospels have already been in in existence for 10, 20, 30 years. But he then decides to write his own Gospel. Gospel meaning good news about Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, he kicks it off in John chapter 1, verse 1. These first couple of verses are some of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. And he said this in the beginning. I want to do some of this together. He said, in the beginning was the what? In the beginning was the... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, meaning this Word, all things were made. So this Word that was in the beginning, and it was God, and it was with God, it's this Word that actually made everything. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Implication. Mankind is in the darkness without this word, without this light. Jump down to verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, in other words, who all who embraced, who took hold, who accepted him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right or he gave the power, he gave the authority, he gave the right to become children of God. And what a remarkable description by God, by John, of who this, who we know it is, is Jesus. What an incredible description. And then he writes this in verse 14. He says this, the word became, what's the word? The word became flesh and it dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means it moved in, it made his residence. The literal translation is that he, he, he set up his tent. Literally, like he came in, and if the imagery is of the Old Testament days 
when you had the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant. And wherever the Jewish people went, there was no temple that was in one fixed location. Wherever the Jewish people were, they would travel with the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments inside, which represented the presence of God. And around that was the tabernacle, was this tent that God went with the people and was actually the center of camp wherever they went. And so John's using that imagery and telling us this word that was God and was with God and that created everything and without him nothing's been created and, and he's the life and the light of all mankind. He says this word became what? Flesh. And set up his tent among us. Now this, this past week I, I had an opportunity to spend about... Uh, um, three days with, with about 20 of our junior hires and high schoolers, and we went backpacking together. And we had this incredible time backpacking, but uh, did I tell you three days with junior hires and high schoolers? Did I mention that out loud? And we hung out with them, and, and here we have it. You probably can't get the depth perception here, but we're on the top of a cliff here, and on the backside is about a 500-foot drop. So um, pretty cool, and we, and we hung out, and we went swimming and hiking, but I want you to hold on to this, t- this picture. So we would backpack in, carry everything we need in, and then we would set up our tents. And this is where we live for the next couple days, and then we'd you know, hike around. And so we set up our tents, and we were, we were in each other's business. So we ate together, right? We sat around together, and we talked, and we knew everything about each other, and we learned about each other, because we were together all the time. Did I say for three whole days? Did I say that out loud? <laughs> and we're looking for volunteers for next year. No, I actually had an incredible time with them. Uh, incredible time. John said this, this Jesus, I went camping with for three years, every single day. There are a couple of girls on the trip, and they were telling me how they've spent every single day together now for months. Like, they, like, they just hang out, they, like, they spend the night at each other's house, have slumber parties, sleepovers, whatever they call them today, you know, and, and they're just hanging out every single day. And John is saying this, that's what I did. With Jesus. It's not I show up once a week and hear a message. It's not I come, you know, I'm a little more dedicated. I come to the Sunday morning service and the Sunday night service and the midweek service. I'm involved in small groups. It's not that. He's saying I'm with them every second of every day. And then he says this. As a result of that, verse 14. We have what? What's the word? We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of, and here's the question, full of what? We're going to talk about this for a second, and I'm going to want the first, uh, the first word to come from this half of the room. We're going to do this the rest of the morning. For the first word to come from this half and the second word to come from this half, okay? Notice what he says. We've seen his glory. The glory of the only, one is the only Son who came from the Father full of grace and full of He's full of grace and full of truth. And that is the tension. Grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and he's full of truth. And that is the tension that I mentioned earlier that you and I, we try to solve. We try to resolve. I think we all know what grace is, right? right? You know what grace is. We all know what truth is, right? Truth says, hey man, you're accountable 
Grace says, oh, yeah, but you're forgiven. Grace says, you know, you're fine, it's okay. Truth says, no, you're broken. Grace says, everything's going to work out, it's going to be okay. Truth says, oh, but you're going to have to work on it. Grace says, you know, no matter what you do, I love you. And truth says, I love you, but you're responsible for, you're held accountable for, you're liable for. Truth says, some of our high school guys carried about 10 pounds, and some of our high school girls carried like 50 pounds and outdid the guys. That's the truth. And Grace says, it's okay to be a wimp. God still loves you. That's the tension. And all of our personalities kind of lean in one direction or the other. Did you know that? In fact, I want you to think about this right now. You don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to think, which way do you lean? Do you lean towards grace or truth? Come up with it in your mind's eye right now. It's very important for you as we keep going along this morning. Raise your hand if you have the direction you lean. Raise your hand. I want to see. Okay? So you know. Most of you have your hand up. You know you have a high enough self-awareness and a high enough EQ that you get it. But you know. You lean one way or the other. And here's what John said. It's so remarkable. John said, I spent three whole years camping out. Thank you, Rick. Camping out with and watching Jesus navigate the intricacies of some very difficult circumstances. And he said, so after watching all that and seeing all that, I begin my description for what it was like to be with Jesus. And here's what I saw. He was absolutely full of grace and truth. Now, this is more powerful than I think any of us in this room realize. We don't realize how significant this is. So let me illustrate right here by what this looks like. And and let me, it's it's real simple to say. John said he's full of grace and full of truth. So what is this? What is this? What is this? John says Jesus was full of what? And he was full of truth. That's what John says. So you look at Jesus, the word full of, it means that he's not some of grace. He's not some of truth. He's all of both. In fact, what it literally means, it's all of both filling over the brim is what that means. As I mentioned, you and I tend to want it to be one way or the other. We tend to lean towards grace or truth, and depending on which way you lean depends on how you interpret the Scriptures. Some of you need to hear that. Did you just hear what I said? Which way you lean determines how you interpret the Scriptures. Which way you lean determines how you interpret your spouse when they want to have a conversation with you. Which way you lean determines how you hear a conversation from your boss when they want to talk to you. 
Which way you lean determines how you have a conversation with somebody who is one of your friends who has to talk to you about something. What I've discovered in my own life is I love the verses that lean towards truth when I'm telling you what to do. But I love the verses that lean towards grace when it's about me. Is anybody tracking with me on this one? Right? You get that. John said, I watched Jesus, and the best way I can describe it is that he is filled to the brim. He's overflowing with both. And then he says this, verse 16. He says, out of his fullness, in other words, out of the fullness, out of all grace, all truth, filling to the brim, it says this, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. And I'm just going to tell you right now, that has dumbfounded uh, theologians for 2,000 years. They haven't figured this verse out. It's hard to grasp because how do you say that you're, full, you know, in all his fullness, full of grace and truth, and then say we've all received grace in place of grace, like it, like it doesn't track. And so different, and there's different interpretations out there, and different theologians have tried to state it different ways. Some people have said, out of his fullness, you have grace upon grace upon grace. And others are like, you can't use the same word grace to describe grace. You know, it doesn't, it makes it lean like it's one way or the other. And so other people say, out of the fullness of the overflow of the grace and the truth, being one together, that he's the full embodiment of both. Out of that, I, this is the translation I like, you have blessing upon blessing. Blessing upon blessing. But again, that's me. Others would say, no, that doesn't work, and that's why we say it this way. And then to bring us a point of clarification, he says this, for the law, verse 17, for the law, this is a very important distinction here. Let's look at this. For the law was what? What's the word? For the law was? Very important word. For the law was given through Moses. Now, what was the law of Moses? What was that? It was the, it was the what? Or actually, Trevor texted me. I've got to do that backwards for you. It was the what? The Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments. <laughs> Trevor's like, is it one commandment or ten commandment? <laughs> so thanks, Trev. That helped. So you have the, the, <laughs> the Ten Commandments plus the 600-some-odd other laws. And those represented, the, the, you know, this is how you live your life. This is the standards. And when you follow these standards, here's the good, here's the blessing, here's what you get. And when you disobey the standards, then here's the punishments, here's the results of what happens when you don't follow those. He said the law was given to us through Moses. But then the distinction comes, and this is incredible, verse 17, grace and truth. What's the word? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So with Moses, it was external. God gave it to Moses. Moses passed it along. This says that grace and truth came through Jesus. Why is that so important? Because it means, the word literally means was birthed, was born. Grace and truth, this is what's so phenomenal about God and Jesus. Grace and truth came into existence together full in Jesus Christ. Some of you, you're like, wow, that's amazing, and you get that. Some of you are like, I don't care, that's too theologically deep. But it's phenomenal that John understood that Jesus was full of both. But it's also why it's a tension for us. And it's a tension that if you try to solve or resolve the grace and the truth conversation, it's why you end up losing. It's why you end up not being able to love like Jesus loved. And Jesus has said, this is how I want you to love. 
right here towards each other. So rather than solve it, rather than resolve the grace-truth conversation, God has said to us, you need to tread in the tension of both. It's not a problem to solve. It's a tension that we manage. Did you catch that? It's not a problem to solve. It's a tension that we manage. And this is what made Jesus so messy to people. Because you and I want to lean one way or the other, but it wasn't how it was with Jesus because he was a full embodiment of both. It's why some people were confused by Jesus. It's what made people, you know, it's why Jesus came across as unpredictable because everybody was leaning one way or the other. And John said, no, he was all of it. And he brought all of it to bear upon every person he came in contact with and every circumstance that he came in contact with. So imagine with me, if you now understand that Jesus was the full embodiment of all grace and all truth, imagine now if you were to reread the Gospels through those lenses. Because if you did, you would begin to see what we're talking about. And you'd see it all over the Scripture. For example, let's just go through a few stories real quickly, and you can look these up this re- week and kind of read them and see it. You have the story of the, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And Jesus shows up, and she's there trying to draw water, and so they get into a conversation. Jesus starts talking about this living water thing, and they're in this conversation, and, and Jesus is like, well, hey, why don't you go get your husband? She's like, well, uh, you know, he's not really around. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. The guy you're with right now isn't your husband, and her eyes get wide open. In fact, not only are you with this guy, you've had like five husbands. And she's like, oh my goodness, how does he know all these things? And and Jesus is like, that's the truth. And not even Samaritans like you think that's acceptable. So he's giving her the truth in the midst of Jesus sharing truth, that she receives this truth. He demonstrates grace to her and tells her, that I can give you living water. That I am the living water. I'll give you new life and a real life and a better life than you can ever imagine than the one you've been living. Jesus demonstrated to the woman the full embodiment of grace and truth. What about the story of Matthew chapter 9? where Jesus comes up to this tax collector named Matthew. And you need to understand it's very simple. Tax collectors were, were traitors to their own people. Okay, they were Jewish people collecting taxes for the Romans and taking it from their own people and giving it to the Romans. So they were seen as the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. And Jesus goes up to this guy, Matthew, and by the way, when you're a tax collector, no good standing Jew wants to spend time with you, so you've got to find whoever you can hang out with, which is basically you're hanging out with the dregs of society. And you're hanging out with the other bums of society. And so, you're, you're, you know, your group were basically known as sinners. And Jesus walks up to Matthew. And what does he say to Matthew? He says two simple words. He says, Matthew, come and what? Some of you know, follow me. And others around them are wondering, wait, 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 Jesus, wait, wait, Jesus, hold on. You can't say that. You can't invite a tax collector to come be on your team because if you do, that's going to look like you're condoning tax collection and being a traitor. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm just asking them to follow me. And they're like, but but Jesus, you don't understand what that looks like. Jesus, you can't. That's going to affect your brand. You can't associate with him. You can't eat at his restaurant. 
You can't have a conversation with him. That would look wrong. That would look bad. He's on the other side. I don't care what it looks like, Jesus says. Besides, I know in time what's going to happen for him and to him. Grace and truth. What about the story of the criminals on the cross? Do you know that story, Luke chapter 23? And one of the criminals is there on the cross, and he's, there's Jesus and the two criminals on his right and left, and one of the criminals is looking at Jesus, criminals, and uh, looking at Jesus. Uh, sorry, sorry, Mark, that just, I don't know. Criminals. And so he's looking at Jesus, and he looks at him, and he's like, man, he, he, what, who are you? If you think you're the son of God, get off this cross. And so he's just mocking Jesus. And the other criminal is like, what are you doing? We deserve this. He hasn't done anything wrong. We deserve our punishment for what's coming for what we did. And did Jesus say, man, right answer, great job, why don't you go ahead and get off the cross? Did Jesus do that if you know the story? No. Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. You're still going to die. But I do want you to know something. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Jesus demonstrating the full measure of grace and truth. Man, contrast that last-minute conversion. If you're dying on a cross, other than Jesus who did nothing wrong, if you're dying on a cross, you deserved it. You were a bad person. And Jesus looks at him and says, you'll be with me in paradise today. Contrast that with the story of the rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10. And Jesus, he wanted to know how to get eternal life. He's like, hey, that criminal, you know, he got eternal life last second. What about me? Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and said, go sell everything you have. Then you can come follow me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Really, Jesus? You're going to exclude the the criminal at the last second conversion? You're going to make me sell everything and follow you? Yes. It's treading in the tension of all grace and all truth. And then the most famous story of all when it comes to treading in the tension of grace and truth is the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Maybe you know the story. Some people came to Jesus, and they brought this woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery, and they said to Jesus, they said, hey, look, Jesus, the law of Moses demands that we stone her. What should we do? It's a brilliant strategy on their part. They're not trying to find an honest answer. They're trying to trap Jesus, the Bible says. Jesus is in a tough situation. Because if he goes all truth on her, yep, that's what the law says, let's stone her right now. If he does that, the compassionate Jesus that he's been full of for three years, people are going to go like, well, what gives? But if he goes all grace on her, essentially ignoring the truth of God's word, Jesus said, I come from God, I am God, and so he needs to uphold the laws of God. So if he ignores that, then he's basically saying, well, God, you know, there's conflict here. So what does Jesus do? He treads in the tension of both, the full embodiment of grace and truth overflowing. So he tells all them, he says, all right, I'll do what you want. John chapter 8, verse 7, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And in that answer, they all looked at themselves, and the Bible says they begin to walk away. Jesus stopped them in the tracks. It's now just Jesus and this woman. And it's just the two of them, and she's probably thinking now, sweet, I can go on living the life I've been living. Right? You ever been pulled over by a cop and, and, and you know you're busted, but he or she lets you off the hook? You're like, awesome, I can go back to going 90, right? I don't, you, not pastors, but some of you. <laughs> I just got a pass so I can go back to it. 
And she's thinking, oh, sweet. She didn't expect Jesus' answer. Jesus says, you know what? I don't condemn you either. And she's like, good, that's what I was hoping you'd say. Then Jesus says, go and leave your life of sin. Go, sin no more. Whoa, whoa, Jesus, I like the grace part. No, Jesus says, I'm the full embodiment of grace and truth. I don't condemn you. Leave your life of sin. If you want to know what Jesus meant when he said to love one another so that the world can know that we are his disciples, he said, you look at what I did. You watch how I lived. I was all grace. I was all truth. Yes, I called sin, sin. I have no problem being real, being truthful, being honest. But I don't condemn you because I paid for your sin. I died in your place. So I don't condemn you for your sin. You're a sinner, but I don't condemn you for it. Receive me. But you know what? I want you to leave that life of sin. Don't keep staying there. It destroys your life. Listen, that's how we're called to love one another. And I get it. I get it that it's a tension. The grace and truth thing is tough. But we have to have truth. We have to have our standards. We have to know our standards. Otherwise, sin will get us. But we also need grace. Why do we need grace? Because every single one of us, there's going to come a point where we recognize, hey, I know I'm not supposed to sin, but I still sin on this side of heaven. And I need God's grace to save me and rescue me because I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. And so I need God's truth so I don't sin, but I also know I'm going to sin, so I need God's grace because grace is the only way back. Grace is the only way home. Grace is the only way to connect with our Heavenly Father. If you want to know what Jesus meant when he said to love one another as I have loved you, there it is. And he has invited every single one of us to live in that tension, to be the full embodiment of. And I don't think we'll ever get to the full embodiment of. That's Jesus But that's where he's invited you and I to head towards. To live in that tension. And if we can do that, if we can be dispensers of grace and truth, and if we can pray and say, God, allow me to manage that tension of the two, man, we'll be an incredible witness to the love of God. Because now we're loving each other the way Jesus intended. Would you be willing to get off one side or the other and meet God as the full embodiment of grace and truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I understand. God, this is hard for us, especially because of our personalities and the way we've grown up and the way we think. So Lord, would you help us this morning? So right now, I'm going to ask you, to have the Holy Spirit reveal, or you just know it, which way do you lean, towards grace or towards truth? And when you ask God to help you live in the tension of both rather than solving it, God, I know with every single person here, there have been times where we, me and all of us, have ne- needed massive doses of truth from you. And God, I also know there's been other times where we have needed massive doses of grace from you. Help us, God. Help us to live with both and to demonstrate that to each other. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And God, as we get ready to worship you in a different way by giving these offerings, God, this is what you've asked us to do. The truth is, this is what you said. You said to give. 
you told us, God, give of our first fruits, the first you know, check we write, the first click we make on online giving, the first text we send when we get paid, the first goes to you. That's your truth, God. Now, God, we know some of us, we're struggling with that. We're trying to figure it out. So, God, would you help us in that? Help us in that. So we come to worship you now. Use these gifts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.